everybody. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about insulin, why it might be the hormone you're missing with hormonal imbalances and other chronic conditions. Fasting, how to fast appropriately, how to fast to not wreck your hormones, men and women, um, how to determine if you're ready for this and how to ease into it. So we're going to be discussing all these things. So hang tight and we'll be right back. Okay, so we are told often that weight loss is hormonal, right? And so we start to single out hormones like thyroid, or maybe it's estrogen or progesterone or whatever it may be. And so sometimes we take in external forms of these hormones and the problem's still there, right? Because the inflammation, the cause of the inflammation hasn't been addressed. So while weight gain is hormonal, are we actually looking at the right hormone? Because if insulin is not regulated, no other hormones will be, right? So it's really important to make sure that we're looking at the main driver of these hormonal imbalances. So let's talk really quickly and basically about hormones and um, specifically the hormone insulin. So insulin, as we know, is produced by the pancreas, uh, specifically the beta cells. It is essentially the lock and key mechanism to get glucose into the cell. And we know that we are in such an insulin resistant state now as a environment, as a society, because of things like the increase in insulin driving foods, right? So our blood sugar is constantly spiked. We have an insulin response to follow. We are chronically stressed. We are heavily addicted and reliant on sugar um, and other causative effects. So we can be overweight and inflamed and still our cells can be starving for glucose because our insulin is constantly flooding the system. Eventually we become resistant to insulin coming in, which means our cells and the things in our body that are reliant on glucose for energy are not getting what they need. So you are going to show signs of inflammation. You're going to sign, show signs of hormonal imbalances, things like brain fog, lack of energy, all of these things that people come to me, you know, complaining of and their symptoms which are things that I dealt with too personally, right? It's a snowball effect. It's one thing after another. And it really the essential driver of all of these inflammatory conditions is blood sugar and insulin irregularity. So when we hear of insulin sensitivity, you need to think about the positive effect of insulin to regulate glucose, right? We want it to get into the cell and that's, you know, that should happen without changing blood sugar. And so in a balanced body, in a balanced world, um, this would happen because of how insulin can counterbalance glucose coming into the system. But like I said, when we are flooded with glucose, we are, you know, we are resistant to insulin and we don't have that balancing act anymore, then we are in energy conservation or fat storage mode consistently. And then when we stay in fat storage mode, we're also going to have increased things like toxicity increases in estrogen, men and women, um, and it just really becomes an inflammation snowball from there. So all of our hormones are reliant on stable insulin responses, and if we can't master those, we cannot truly get into a state of balance of any hormones, and this includes thyroid as well, because when insulin is on, we are in fat storage and we become more and more insulin resistant. 
So some of the reasons that are contributing to this, we kind of talked about chronic stress, refined foods, things like that. We also collectively have lowered healthy fats in our diet since probably the 1960s or 70s. Um, that's really when we started to see this obesity epidemic happening. So lots of things were changing. Um, we we started to rely on refined processed carbohydrates more and more. We had the addition of sugar into everything, the refinement of flours, the addition of seed oils, which are highly inflammatory. And all of these evoke a rapid rise in blood sugar. So like I said, every time blood sugar is elevated, you're going to have that correlating insulin response. And so what happens then is we have a dramatic reduction in blood sugar. So this is where a lot of people are noticing symptoms, right? We have a really uh, dramatic spike and then we have a really dramatic drop. And that's when you know that that is definitely insulin flooding the system. And so some people will notice things like headaches, mood swings, um, just inflammation in general. And when we are in this low blood sugar state, which so many people are, guess what? Cortisol kicks in. So now we're involving stress hormones. So cortisol is responsible for moving sugar in and out of storage and into the bloodstream. So if we are, you know, on this roller coaster of blood sugar, then we have a roller coaster of insulin. And now you can see that we can also start eliciting a cortisol response. And so now we have more stress, right? So now we have um, this unregulated rise in blood sugar from what cortisol is producing. So then we have more insulin and more stress hormones. And do you see how this feedback loop can become more and more erratic? Because now it's out of our hands. It's not even related to the food we're consuming at this point, because these are just inborn mechanisms um, that are happening of stress. And then, and then we start to notice that we get cravings, right? Cravings for high energy foods because our blood sugars drop so low. Our cortisol is frantic to try to get our blood sugar regulated. And it just becomes this endless cycle. So when we become insulin resistant, our cells are starving for energy, right? So that's when you start to see things like brain fog and chronic fatigue and you know all of those things our body needs energy for literally everything so that's when we start to notice those symptoms of that energy deprivation right our energy is dropping off um, which is another stressor right and so we have that um, stress hormone response to follow but essentially the key cannot fit into the lock anymore so our insulin cannot open the door to get glucose into the cell anymore and so um, we then have hyper levels of insulin and blood sugar in the system at that point. Um, and just like we're not designed for high um, levels of cortisol to be constantly flooding our system, we're also not designed for this prolonged insulin response. It's going to disrupt fat metabolism. Cells can't absorb glucose. Liver converts us to fat. So we get fatty liver, we have high triglycerides, you know, all of those things start to become affected. And that also, those processes happen more rapidly with things like high fructose corn syrup, alcohol, fructose metabolism, all of those things. Those are all going to go straight to the liver and create that triglyceride formation. So essentially, you're skipping glycolysis with those um, certain food groups and go straight to that, um, the liver and straight to triglyceride formation. So inflammation in a nutshell, right? Um, and then we're starved for glucose. We start to have those cravings, like I said, for high energy foods. Um, and then we we're still low energy, right? Now we have this even more. We crave these high energy foods, high sugar foods, highly processed foods. And then we go through the cycle over and over and over again. So now we have extra fat cells because we have all this extra blood sugar just, you know, running rampant through the system. 
So extra fat cells because the body is going to protectively create them, right? Because uh, we think we're in survival. We're going to store this fat for later energy use because it can't get into the cell anyway. Um, and then we start to produce more estrogen. So this can lead to things like estrogen dominance. Um, you can still have hormonal imbalances. You could even have low estrogen and have insulin issues as well. So be sure that that is noted too, because what's showing up in the bloodstream is not what's showing um, as far as what your fat cells are storing. So that's really important to note. Um, and it, this essentially this process where we start to create more estrogens and things like that, this is where you're going to see a lot of disruption with those perimenopausal women, right? Because they're this is a time where their hormones are trying to switch systems, essentially. We're trying to switch over from our ovaries producing our sex hormones to now we're reliant on our adrenals. And if our adrenals are chronically firing because we let our blood sugar become erratic and then we're overusing the adrenals, the stress hormones and things like that, guess what's going to take the back seat? So when we talk about this involvement, and this isn't just women, we talk about this involvement of more burden on the HPA axis or hypothalamic pituitary adrenal pathway because now we are in a state of glycemic stress we have elevated cortisol and this is going to interfere with our other sex hormones and this is how we usually see those start to drop off because of the preferment of creating cortisol over sex hormones so you can see drops in estrogen progesterone testosterone men and women and their function. So this can, um, this, like I said, more energy is being used to convert into cortisol versus sex hormones. So we have more estrogen dominance, more liver stress, more depletion of minerals and cofactors, more fat gain, more cancer risk, because we know that cancer is highly related to estrogen dominance, more inflammation across the board. So this is obviously a bigger issue than just taking DIM, right? Like, or an estrogen blocker or whatever it may be, right? So, you know, because I do see levels of estrogen developing in men, you know, because of this chronic inflammation, this erratic blood sugar situation. And so they just want to take DEM or an estrogen blocker. And now you can see that there's so much more to the story, right? There is what is happening with our endocrine system as a whole. You can't separate one hormone and fix it and fix this whole process. So I want to talk about testosterone for just a minute because we are going to be talking about, you know, women and hormones and things like that. But I, it, this is not just women. Uh, testosterone, you're going to see drops in testosterone in men when you have um, insulin issues or and uh, blood sugar issues. So men typically this can show up as high estrogen symptoms. So sometimes you'll see the gynecomastia, um, low libido, low muscle mass, low stamina, sleep issues, um, you know, all of those things that are all related. And then um, high insulin is also going to affect our constriction and dilation of our blood vessels. So men, this will often show up as erectile dysfunction. It can be such a teller, and I've talked about this before, of insulin resistance. Um, when you have high insulin, you also have low sex hormone binding globulin. So this is why it looks like low testosterone in both men and women. So it is really important to know that if you have any sort of hormonal imbalance, you have to stabilize insulin first. Um, if you have more fat storage than you should, then you have an insulin problem, men or women, right? Because it is hormonal. 
So stop trying to single out the sex hormones. It's it's bigger than that, right? There is a precursor to those that has to be regulated. We have to regulate our insulin. We have to regulate our stress response. And like I said, just finding that balance in your system as a whole because it's never just one hormone. Um, with that being said, how do I know if I have insulin resistance? So I tell people if there is a chronic condition that is not going away, um, if it's a skin issue, it's a hormone issue, it's chronic inflammation, it's fatty liver, all of these things, right? Or, or if you have more fat storage than you should, and if you know that you are gaining weight and nothing else is changing, you have an insulin issue because insulin is driving that fat storage every single time, men or women. Um, so how do we fix this? Obviously, if insulin is the driver of fat gain and and glucose storage, the goal would be to decrease the amount of insulin that is flooding our system, right? Balancing our blood sugar and working to increase our insulin sensitivity. Do you have to be overweight to have insulin resistance? You do not. Um, sometimes it can look like hypertension. Sometimes it can look a, look like an estrogen dominant cancer. Sometimes it can look like PCOS. And we all know that you don't have to be overweight to have PCOS, um, all these other conditions, heart issues, chronic pain and inflammation, just really, truly any chronic condition you can't get under wraps, there is most likely a hormonal disturbance. And like I said, start at the top of that ladder. Now it's important to realize what fat does for us, right? Because we hate it. We hate, we just want to get rid of all of it, right? Um, but fat is actually a compensatory mechanism against things like excess hormones, it is compensatory against excess toxins because our body stores them in fat um, to get it out of our bloodstream. So it really is a beautiful mechanism if our bodies are really toxic um, or if we do have hormonal imbalances and things like that. Um, so it's important to note that fat is protective. And so it is very important to look at what your fat might be protecting your body from. So toxin load always, always, always has to, because here's the thing. If you're focused on fat loss, then you and your, your fat is storing onto toxins for you. You're going to be more toxic as you lose that fat. That fat is going to be, or the toxins from the fat cells are going to be released into the bloodstream. So if your only focus is fat loss, you have to look at toxin load. You have to consider drainage because you are essentially becoming more toxic as you lose those fat cells. You are increasing your toxin density. So you really have to look at the toxin load, your liver, your drainage capacity. All of those need to be considered um, be, before you are trying to lose fat. Because if you do not, and those toxins are still floating around in your bloodstream, guess what? You're going to just be treading water because your body's going to continue to create more fat cells as you're, you're trying to get rid of them. So it is a compensatory mechanism that we have protectively. Um, and so the question would be, why? Why do I have increased fat storage? We know insulin's a huge um, causative factor, but we also know that our body creates fat for things like dehydration. If we are chronically dehydrated, where our body's going to make more fat protectively. Um, and then if we have a high toxin load, our body's going to create more fat cells to store those toxins in it. 
So let's talk about fat loss for just a second and kind of like examine the obesity epidemic. So what happened and what changed? I really like Dr. Jason Fung's work, um, but I feel like his work just needs to be tailored to women a little bit. But he debunks a lot of the assumptions of why we are gaining weight. Um, what has changed since the 1960s and 70s. And we already talked about changes in the food industry, changes with the addition of um, refinement of foods, seed oils, sugars, things like that, low fat. Um, All of those things are all creating an insulin response for sure. But the other thing that has dramatically changed is the frequency in which we're eating. Because if you look back at the average person around the 1960s and 70s, they had breakfast, they had a break from digestion and break from insulin. Then they had lunch, same thing, and then dinner, three meals only a day. And so now we are in a situation where we have breakfast, maybe. So a lot of people skip breakfast because they're running on stress hormones. Um, But then we'll have a snack or a sugary beverage from uh, Starbucks, and then we'll have lunch, and then we'll have, you know, that afternoon Starbucks or afternoon snack, or we're grazing every time we go by the kitchen, Um, and then we have dinner. So we are constantly in a fed state, and the body's natural state is actually fasted. When our bodies are fasted, and you know, I don't want this to be misconstrued, there is a proper way to fast in today's environment, because I am trained traditionally with naturopathy to, you know, as fasting as a healing mechanism, and it certainly can be, but the traditional naturopaths, how they fasted was people went in the woods and they had no other responses, responsibilities. They had nothing else to do besides sit there and fast and heal. And while that does work, that same concept does not work in our society because we are chronically stressed. We're in burnout. We are already so inflamed and, you know, we have all these other underlying issues going on. So you have to do it in a way that is supportive to hormones and supportive to stress hormones and all of those things. Because while fasting is amazing, it is hormesis, which is a stressor on the body. And while it can make the system more resilient and strong, we have to also make sure that we're not backfiring and making our systems more stressed in today's climate. So constantly feeding our bodies is a constant insulin response, right? Um, And so obviously, how do we start to fix that? Well, we actually have to stop eating as much, right? We have to get out of that constantly feeding mentality. And even if it's a handful of this, when you walk into your kitchen on a break or you walk into the break room at work, whatever it is, a tiny handful, it's not a caloric issue, right? It is just this insulin issue because it's not, you could be completely under calories for your day, but if you are still eating and grazing throughout the day, you're still going to have an insulin response. And that's what people are finding. Like the calorie theory actually is going to downregulate your metabolism, downregulate your thyroid, and you're going to burn less calories as your metabolism drops. So then you start to eat a normal amount of calories as you should. Um, What happens is you're going to start to gain weight. Um, if you have been calorically deprived and your metabolism adjusts to maintain that uh, new quote-unquote set point for your metabolism. So the calories in, calories out theory doesn't matter anymore. It really matters about your insulin response. So um, 
not to say you can just overdo it, right? Like on calories, if you're fasting and the days you're not fasting, that still has some significance. But if you look at what you're doing throughout the day and you're snacking every hour of the day and you have this high insulin response and you're having insulin resistance and all of the symptoms to follow that, obviously calories don't matter at that point. So it's reported that over 40% of the population has insulin resistant issues. And I'm not really sure what that number is, but I would say that most people who come to me have blood sugar and insulin issues. Um, and when they learn to fix those and they learn how to lower insulin and increase insulin sensitivity, a lot of those chronic inflammatory issues go away. So think about, you know, the availability of food in, in our timing today and then even all the commercials and every little thing. And we really don't even notice what true hunger is because we don't have to. We, we know we can get up and grab something anytime, anywhere, any place that we are um, in the U.S. especially. And so we are, like I said, we're constantly fed. We are constantly having blood sugar a blood sugar response, our digestive system doesn't get a break. And it's no wonder that we are in this state of chronic inflammation and chronic conditions because we have no time to heal. And we have no time uh, to break from the digestive energy because digestion does take a ton of energy. And anytime you're overusing that energy, it's taking away from other processes of, you know, rebuilding and repairing and detoxifying. And so we talk about the obesity epidemic, but think about the epidemic of all the hormonal issues. And of course, that has to do with a huge generation of, of us being put on birth control, you know, for 10, 15 years. That definitely plays a role. But we also see this epidemic of thyroid issues and, you know, even men having hormonal issues. And so when you zoom out and you look at the body and the endocrine system as a whole, um, you have to realize that the regulator of all these hormones is insulin. Okay, so we said, how do we lower? Okay, we know insulin's a problem. Okay, how do we fix it? Um, we can't be constantly eating. And this is one reason why I don't like keto because, okay, here's the thing. Our body has to be able to switch between carbohydrate and fat burning. And that's called metabolic flexi flexibility. So um, a lot of people think they can biohack that by eating only fat, right, with the keto and, and things like that. And then women are doing this and they're not giving their body carbohydrates or hormone building foods at appropriate times in their cycle. And then eventually we start to lose our hair or our thyroid starts to mess up or, you know, all of these things. So we or we go so heavy on the external fat in our diet coming in that the body's not going to burn the fat storage that it has. So that's not the answer. And you know, we could debate diet all the time, you know, back and forth, but there's different variants of keto and things like that. While it's important to make sure blood sugar stability is in the picture. I have a whole episode on that. We, we talk about that all the time on Instagram. Anyway, keto is not the answer in my opinion, because it is not allowing for those flexibilities, especially in a woman's cycle. It's not allowing for, you know, the body to learn how to properly utilize carbs and then go back into fat burning mode because we should all be fat adaptive at night. We Every single one of us should be fat adapted at night. And so we get into the point where we all are becoming these carb or these sugar burners and that's why our blood sugar is so erratic because our body doesn't know how to flip back into fat storage mode when it should. So if you are reliant on keto to maintain a certain weight or a certain level of inflammation or whatever it may be, 
you kind you know that if you've done it before, you kind of have to stay there, right? You can't add carbs back in really, or you're going to have this increase in water rate. Your body doesn't know how to burn carbs anymore. And so it is really hard when you kind of go in and out of that. So the problem is, is that we take something, so we know fasting has some benefits, right? We hear about intermittent fasting, it's trending, it's cool, whatever, you know. And the problem is we're taking something good like fasting and we are overdoing it. We are not considering our hormonal rhythms or our diurnal rhythms. And we end up wrecking our hormones, right? Our cortisol, our thyroid, our sex hormones, all of these things. And so there's a couple reasons why or how that happens is because we try to do it every day. Uh, We're skipping breakfast and lunch, possibly, and that completely goes against the body's natural cortisol rhythm. So it increases our cortisol even more when we're trying to skip meals when our cortisol is at the highest points of the day. So you have more stress on an already stressed system. Guess what? Blood sugar is going to get involved, right? We talked about cortisol is going to increase blood sugar whether you're eating or not. So you're really shooting yourself in the foot if you think, okay, well, I'm going to fast daily and I'm going to skip breakfast and lunch. You are doing your hormones a disfavor, men and women. Um, men can get away with it a tiny bit easier, right? But it show, it looks different. Women, we're going to notice the hair loss, the thyroid issues, the um, immediate hormonal imbalances. Um, because our bodies are more we're more sensitive because our bodies are meant to and made to reproduce, right? And and keep a baby alive in a survival state. Um, and we are also more, we are inclined to having more fat storage. So we are more likely to have estrogen dominant like symptoms if we are, you know, having insulin issues. So before I go too much into fasting, it's important for me to say, hey, talk to your practitioner about what a proper fasting schedule should be for you. We, You don't have to go crazy with it. You can get benefits of fasting and, and start to incorporate them a few days a week in a proper time around your cycle women. We're going to go deeper into that in just a minute. But everyone has to do things a little bit differently to start. And that's why I don't like these cookie cutter keto protocols. I don't like the cookie cutter fasting protocols because we're all in a different state. Our adrenals are in a different state. Our toxicities are in a different state. Our liver and our ability to drain. Um, Like if you're chronically constipated and you're trying to lose fat, guess what? You're getting more estrogen recirculation because your body's going to release more estrogen. Like we talked about, as you shrink those fat cells, your body's going to release that estrogen into your system. And then you're going to have more stress and burden on an already stressed system. Then you're going to have those hormonal issues, right? So it looks a little differently for everybody. Toxin load matters. Super important to check in on your toxin load. I'm going to send you a link in the show notes to my favorite toxin lab that I think everyone should run yearly. It really will help you look at what you're exposed to, what your body cannot move out, and what could be hindering if you are trying to get your body to a better place. And I don't want this to be a weight loss episode, but it is important. And honestly, if you do have a weight or a fat storage issue, I get that you want to be better and it's okay to want your body to look and feel its best because that has to happen if you want to regulate everything in your body. So totally get it. This is not dieting advice. This is not a diet uh, podcast. It's just important to know that there are certain pieces that need to be taken into consideration if fat loss and hormonal balance is your goal. Um, So with that being said, 
I am also the lab that I work with that runs this toxin test is running a sale right now until the till mid August. So you have time to look in on your toxin load if this is something that you're looking to regulate. Super, super, super important to look at what you're exposed to, clean your food, clean your air, clean your water. Those are where we are going to be chronically bombarded with toxins. So you can pinpoint where they are with the toxin lab, and then you can start to clean up your environment so that when your body is detoxing and you are working with a practitioner to detox from everything you find on there, whether it's heavy metals or environmental toxins or endocrine disruptors or all the above, like most people, um, you know what you're working on and you know that you've stopped that exposure because that's definitely step one. Okay, so I don't like making universal recommendations. You all know that, but everyone can start with a 12-hour fast, literally everyone. And this is important because you should be giving your body a rest, right? And the, the earlier you can have your dinner, the more time your body can get into detox and repair mode. And just like I said, a break from digestion. Because if you eat right before bed and your body's just trying to digest food all night, guess what? You're not repairing cells. You're not rebuilding DNA. You're not, um, you know, building muscle. You're literally digesting your food when you should be detoxing and moving out toxins and all of the wonderful reparative things that happen when we sleep properly. So... Everyone can start with that 12-hour fast. So if you have dinner at 6 p.m., then you can have breakfast at 6 when you wake up. That's 12 hours. It's really not that challenging, right? So if this is new, a new concept to you all, and you're dealing with any sort of um, adrenal issues or hormone issues or anything, this is something you can do. The problem is, is that we often get into this rhythm of wanting to extend that fast and then we end up skipping breakfast so I'll talk about why that's not the best idea we already kind of mentioned some things but um, eventually we start to lose our appetite in the morning when we kind of make that a rhythm and a routine and so that's not a good sign that's a sign that your body's running on stress hormones when you lose your appetite like that so if you are doing 12 hours and you want to start to extend your fast of course talk to your practitioner right but it would be better to skip dinner. Your body is in a naturally lower state of cortisol at that time of the day. You're going to sleep better because you're not going to have an insulin spike right before you go to bed, which is a huge reason why so many of you are waking up between two and three at night or waking up to use the restroom, right? Because insulin resistance is one of the biggest issues that we're waking up overnight or that we have increased urination. So, um, and what happens is, so you have a huge insulin, most people are eating their biggest meal at the end of the day at dinner time, your blood sugar is going to drop after you have that rush of insulin come in after dinner, cortisol is going to kick in and wake you up. So that's what's happening. So start with a 12 hour window. Building on that, no snacking. Remember, we want to get out of that constantly fed state. We need to get less insulin dominant. So we want to increase insulin sensitivity. We need breaks from it. So um, we need to eat less. So we need to learn that snacking is almost always emotional. So what a great time for us to start t- tuning in, right? And seeing why we have that habit. What, what are we resisting? What are we distracting ourselves from? What are we escaping? And what can we do instead? What, what a great time to um, get some of your water intake in that, that first tinge of hunger, because honestly, that first tinge is usually a call that you're dehydrated anyway, not necessarily true hunger. 
So sometimes we have to learn to do things differently. We have to remove ourselves from triggers um, initially just so we can learn to recognize those signs of true hunger so we can tr- give our insulin response a proper break, right? And if we know that certain situations are too tempting for us or we know that we can't regulate because of that emotional connection we have to food, we have to sometimes bow out of those. So sometimes when we're learning to extend our fasting window, we have to do it on busier days where we're distracted, where where our minds are busier, we're working more. And it truly is controlling those impulses that are not even necessary, right? So we have a tinge of hunger. We're immediately ordering DoorDash or grabbing a Starbucks, you know, and that is so not necessary. A lot of times, like I said, it's a sign that we actually need water. And a lot of times, like, like we mentioned, if there's an emotional connection to food, we are distracting from something. So really sitting with ourselves and feeling what true hunger feels like, which honestly, you're not even going to notice that unless you're probably 24 hours or so out having food. So it is really, we what we consider to be actual hunger is not even a thing, right? It's, it's some kind of emotional component or we are chronically dehydrated and we just are in an environment where we are, we just avoid discomfort of any sort at all. Um, and like I said, our body uses certain forms of hormesis or stress to become more resilient. And so a fasted state is one of those. And it's something that we can learn to work with. And if you can master your hunger and you can master your, you know, emotional eating, just think how you could master literally anything because we are in such an environment that is pleasure seeking, right? And we're instant gratification. And so if you can break out of that, you can break out of so many other things. It's honestly super empowering. Okay. Before I go into how women should start to ease into fasting, I want to just talk about some general things that anyone can do, men and women. That way, if the men want to be done listening, they can be done after this, unless they want to learn about how um, how women should do things differently. Um, okay, so everyone we talked about, everyone can do a 12-hour fast. Um, everyone can stop snacking in between meals, right? Removing yourself from triggers and um, things that you know you're going to have a hard time emotionally disconnecting from. Um, learning to sit with the discomfort, the stress, anything that we are learning to distract ourselves from or trying, what void are we trying to fill with snacking um, is very important. And this could be a great time to just jot and journal things, right? Also consider, are we getting enough water? Um, Because like I told you, the body creates more fat cells when it's chronically dehydrated to make more metabolic water. And Dr. Richard Johnson talks about this. In a book, Nature Wants Us to Be Fat, which is really great. Um, Dr. Jason Fung's Obesity Code is great, but women just, you know, take that, but don't go full-blown because it's important that we fast differently. So great information, great um, picture of why we are in this obesity epidemic. Just, um, you know, there needs to be a little bit of evolution for women when it comes to that and a little bit of evolution for men and women about timing of fasting. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and so if you are chronically dehydrated, then the, your body's going to hold on to more fat to kind of help counterbalance that as a compensatory mechanism. So if you're struggling to lose weight or balance blood sugar or your insulin, you know, issues and hormone issues are, are constant, you need to 
really make sure that you are not only drinking enough water, but make sure you're drinking enough mineralized water, enough electrolytes. Um, because especially if you start to embody more of a fasting lifestyle, your body's going to burn through electrolytes a lot. And it's important to keep up with minerals, even if your body isn't relying on calories for energy. So minerals is definitely going to be key there. So not only just water, remember no plain water, we want it to be structured, mineralized, and of course, filtered to start clean water, definitely. Um, And then you want to eliminate things that are causing irregular blood sugar responses. So flowers, sugars, artificial sweeteners, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm fasting and they have stevia all day long and it's still eliciting an insulin response, you know, or whatever sweetener you're using still affects insulin. Your body, your body thinks it's still getting something sweet, right? There's no biohacking that. Um, Alcohol and caffeine, of course. And then, like I said, snacking, constantly feeding. Um, Even if you are within your caloric range, constantly feeding is going to um, induce more insulin responses. So definitely these are things that everybody can do as they start to increase into a fasted state. Start with that 24-hour fast and learn to extend it by skipping dinner to preserve your stress hormones and your sex hormones. That's what everyone can do. So Um, really quick. So fasting is not the same for men and women. Women are not small men. Dr. Mindy Pelse says that, and she's, she's also a great resource. She wrote a book called fast like a girl. Also really great information there. Um, so you have to be able to learn how to fast for women around our cycles. And if you're not cycling, that still looks a little differently. You can't be fasting every single day because you're going to wreck things like your thyroid and your cortisol levels and all of those. So are you a candidate for fasting? Well, you know, you need to really work with a practitioner, especially if you have a history of eating disorders, type one, or on medications for type two diabetes, thyroid, hypo. Um, You definitely want to check in with a practitioner. Um, Obviously, we know that insulin resistance is a driver of hypothyroidism. But just to make sure if you're on a medication of any sort, you want to make sure you're talking to your practitioner about that because your need, especially if you're on medication for type two, your need for that is going to be lower and lower as you uh, increase your insulin sensitivity. So you want to make sure that you're working with someone who can titrate you off of those things. Um, if you have adrenal burnout, it's you have to ease in. Like you cannot go full blown into two and three day fast. You cannot start fasting every day. Um, you need to really tune in. Now, if you're infertile or you have low progesterone, talk to a practitioner. Low, pro- low progesterone is definitely a sign that you are high cortisol, right? Your body's putting a lot of energy into that. Um, so you definitely want to ease in. Everyone has to go at a different pace and that's okay. Everyone can start to fast in a way so that their bodies can become more insulin sensitive, which is going to just decrease inflammation across the board. Okay, one more thing, because I know you all are going to ask um, testing. What, what do you use to test for insulin? And I can tell you, really, there's no great test. I wish there was an insulin meter like there is the blood sugar. But I will say, if you are completely unaware of what your blood sugar is doing throughout the day, that is where I would start. I would start with a CGM. I love NutriSense. I will link that up in my show notes. It's great. It's going to give you an idea of your stability throughout the day with your blood sugar. You will learn so much if you haven't done one. It's it's definitely can be a very eye-opening experience. So that is what I would look at. Um, also, you know, if you're having chronic inflammation triggers like high CRP, A1Cs, 
high blood sugar, of course, hormone issues, weight loss resistance, all of those things. It's time to start looking at insulin. Um, and then another one that I, I think is kind of like, you know, it can be a ringer for high insulin is it's going to bottom out your potassium. So I see potassium bottomed out all the time just because it's, it's your calming mineral along with magnesium, right? It's going to really, it's an adrenal nutrient. It's going to help you get into that parasympathetic state. Um, so when your potassium's bottomed out, that can be a sign too, that you are very insulin dominant. And then of course, like I said, look at the why, what, what is your fat protecting you from? Look at your toxin load, look at your hormones. All of those things can be very enlightening and very helpful to know what your body is trying to protect you from. Um, because if you are not addressing those things, like I said, you will just swell those fat cells right back up after you lose weight with fasting or whatever you may be doing to lose fat. So it's really important to look at that. And that's why you see all these people on these huge, you know, the weight loss shows and things like that. A lot of that is because they are not taught to detoxify. They're not decreasing their metabolic set point. You know, a lot of them are just um, cutting calories, cutting calories, cutting calories, which is going to end up decreasing your metabolism over time. And you're not changing your body's actual metabolic set point. Um, So those all play a role. But if your toxin load is not being addressed, if you have high levels of things like glyphosate and heavy metals that your body is protecting you from or endocrine disruptors completely flooding your system, you can't regulate that, right? You have to make sure you're doing all of the things. That's why detoxification is a precursor to fat loss. Okay, women, how can we protectively to our hormones learn how to be in a fasted state without overdoing it, right? That's always the thing. I mean, we hear, oh, cold plunging is great. And then we overdo it, right? And we lose muscle mass or, you know, we just too much of any good thing, sauna, too much of anything that is good for us can have its, you know, effects long-term. So we want to make sure that we're doing things in a methodical way that are also thinking of hormone production and all of those things, because so many women are dealing with things like infertility If you're trying to fast all day, every day, um, or intermittent fast, and you're skipping breakfast and lunch, working against your circadian rhythm, obviously we can see that that could have a dual effect, right? And we don't want that. So let's talk about women who are cycling first. So we have, you know, every, just about everybody's tracking their cycle now, right? Like we know, and if you don't, then start, because then you can really be able to fine tune somewhat of a fasting protocol to help lower inflammation. So Let's talk about if you are cycling day one through 10, you can do any type of fast. You could do a 24-hour fast. You could do a three-day water fast. Um, you could just do a one meal a day fast. And I'm not saying every day, but during those that time frame, if you want to play with it and do one, go for it, right? Work with your practitioner. Tell them what you're doing. Stay up in your electrolytes and, and go for it. Um, on days 11 through 15, you want to think about you were going to be in a hormone building state, right? So you can intermittent fast, but I don't want it to be any more than 15 hours um, because your body's, you know, it, it's trying to build hormones. You don't want to stress it out anymore, or right? you don't want to elicit stress hormones more than they need to happen. Days 16 through 19. Now, if you're not low progesterone and, you know, you're not infertile or anything like that, you could play around with going back to any type of fast, um, this day 16 through 19. Now you, if you have any symptoms of low progesterone, so if you're having insomnia or spotting or anxiety, irritability, weight gain, 
um, that's really dramatic during that time, then you want to avoid ketosis. You want to avoid long fast. Um, during that time, you want to be building progesterone. So hormone building foods, you want to slow down a little bit those times of the, the 16th through the 19th. And if you are, you know, if you're not, then you can play with, you know, a 24 hour fast. You can do your uh, one meal a day. You could do an intermittent fast, obviously skipping dinner, um, versus breakfast. So just play with it, you know, and it's not something that you have to do every day. Just, Learn to notice your body's cues when your body wants a break from digestion, when your body's starting to show signs of stress, know when to turn it off and on, right? Because if your sleep starts to be affected or your energy starts to be affected, um, then it can be a sign you're going too hard, right? So just learn to back off at certain times and learn to work with it and learn to know the signs of when your body needs some clarity and needs to really just have a break from digestion, Day 20 through your cycle starting. So day 20 to all the way back to day one now. You don't want to fast. This is a time when you need to slow down. Your body is going to be more insulin resistant at this time. You really need to nourish your body, restorative movement. Just think about slowing down. You just, your body wants to be supported during this time. So learn to, um, even though you, you will not be fasting, you can still avoid snacking. You can still do three meals a day. That would be great, right? And if you focus on those blood sugar balancing foods, you're not going to have that terrible PMS um, that's going to happen, those high inflammation symptoms that are going to happen. You're going to really find balance in your body. So focus on blood sugar balance at this point without fasting. So no ketosis. All right. So if you are perimenopausal, and this is when I said you're really going to start to see signs of that estrogen dominance and some of that estrogen weight gain and things like that if you have insulin issues, especially during this time. And it, the one of the reasons why is we lose a lot of muscle mass during perimenopausal, more time than any other time in our life. We're going to lose a lot of muscle mass during perimenopause. And we know that our hormones are going to be a little erratic. So they're going to be even more erratic if we are constantly stressed or we have that constant activation of our HPA axis. So that's really important. Um, but it's always good, even though your cycles are going to be irregular, it's always good to track them because then you can still learn how to support certain times of the month, um, like getting to that day 16 or 19 if you are showing those signs of low progesterone, right, the insomnia, anxiety, irritability, all of those things you definitely want to avoid fasting at those points. So still track your cycle if it's irregular. I want you to back off um, the days 16 through 19 and learn what your new cycle is like. So if you are starting to notice some of those low progesterone symptoms when you're getting close to a cycle, that is time to back off. So you really have to be more intuitive perimenopausally, but it can be done, right? And so you're going to have days where you feel great, um, and then you're going to have days where you notice some of those hormonal symptoms. Those are going to be the ones to back off. So definitely around that hormone building time, day 16 through 19, back off. Um, and then if you notice a dip in uh, progesterone before your irregular cycle starts and then back off. So um, you can intermittent fast in a, with that 12-hour window the whole time. So if you're trying to do anything extended, make sure that it, you're not having hormonal symptoms when you're doing that. Now, if you have no cycle, and this is taken from Dr. Mindy Peltz, like I said, so she is going to really walk you through a lot of these things. If you um, want to look at her book and if you don't remember everything I'm saying, um, if you have no cycle, you can do five days a week intermittent fasting, skipping dinner. I can't 
reiterate that enough. Do not skip breakfast or lunch, skip dinner. Um, one day a week, you can do a 24 hour fast. You are not at this point, like, of course, you're wanna, you're always going to want to support stress, right? You want to make sure that you're not chronically stressed, but you don't have to worry as much about the progesterone estrogen stuff. So you want to support adrenals because that's how, how we're making our hormones anymore. So you don't want to overstress. So that's why you want to take a break every now and then from fasting and you don't want to overdo it. So 13 to 15 hour fasts are okay. Skipping dinner. One day a week, you can do a 24-hour fast. Um, and then one day, you'll want to do higher complex carbs. So you want to work on that metabolic flexibility a little bit. And you can measure this by lumen. Um, so a lumen, so I told you about a CGM before, which I think that's the starting point, right? If you want to learn, like, how regular is my blood sugar? Am I having these huge spikes and dips? Like, just tune in, right? If you want to build on that then and really want to work on your metabolic flexibility this is going to be a tool for you, the lumen. So you want your to train your body to switch in between fat and carb burn as needed. So we want to be fat adapted at night in the morning when we wake up. If we're burning carbs uh, in the morning, it means that we either fasted too long or that we are we had way too many carbs before dinner. So it can mean different things. So it's really important to journal, note what you're doing, knowing, noting what changing your make, changes you make and tracking with these fun tools um, to learn. Like, are we able to get into fat burn mode? Are we able to get in carb burn mode? You know, I, they're tools, right? They're not anything to obsess over, but they can be extremely helpful in certain situations. So that is definitely going to be a great one. I will link that to the show notes for you all. Now, lastly, I want to talk about, so we talked about women. Now, if you have adrenal issues, and we kind of just touched on this briefly, you want to ease into it so that 12-hour fast, skipping, skipping dinner, making dinner a little earlier if you want to extend it, notice symptoms of when to back off. So just kind of like those low progesterone symptoms, if you're starting to have um, issues sleeping or racing thoughts or anxiety or irritability, um, things like that, obviously hair loss is going to be a really dramatic um, dramatic one, but that doesn't happen unless you're just literally trying to fast every day and in, you know, in your fasting around the wrong times of your circadian rhythm. So that, um, that can definitely be a, if you have adrenal burnout, it's obviously going to be driven by insulin. So you do want to make sure you're balancing blood sugar, but you also don't want to add in another stress too quickly, like fasting, right? So you're not going to be jumping into a three-day water fast anytime soon. You just want to ease into that 12-hour window and just extend it by making dinner a little earlier as you go. So every one Um, you know, circling back how to support this high insulin dominant, you know, world that we live in. How do I stop it from spiking as much? How do I become more insulin sensitive? So everyone needs to think about this as we ease into somewhat whatever we're going to do with fasting. It looks different for everybody, right? We need to get plenty of water. We need to get plenty of minerals. We need to focus on drainage. So make sure your liver and bile are flowing. Make sure we have adequate levels of electrolytes coming in to help with our stomach acid. We need to look at and address toxin load. Detox is needed or indicated, right? So that 12-hour overnight fast, no snacking. Um, don't overdo it, you know, um, and don't overdo it on, on dietary fat, like healthy fats. Yes. But when you are not fasting, do not overconsume and think that you have to make up for, you know, what you didn't consume 
calorically because your body was living off of your fat store. It was not deficient, right? So you don't have to overdo it the days that you're not fasting. Um, so no artificial sweeteners. This can elicit an insulin response. You really want to prioritize sleep. You want to do stress management, mindfulness, whatever it may be. You want to stay busy on fasting days, especially to start. You want to feel empowered. Like you don't want to feel like it's a punishment. You want to be like, yeah, I, I am the master of my cravings today, right? Like this, these aren't even real. These are emotional, you know, for, for a lot of us. So, um, it's easier, right? And, and how many, how many people is it easier to just not even have to worry about what you're having for dinner, right? Make breakfast and lunch big enough that you could skip dinner every now and then and be totally fine. Um, when you're not fasting, focus on protein, healthy fats, fiber, um, just balancing blood sugar in general, right? You're going to have less cravings on your fasting days and you're going to have better hormonal balance and less of an insulin response. And like I said, don't look at this as a punishment. Um, look at it as an opportunity, right? As an opportunity of you being able to take this into your own hands without a medication and correct that insulin response. That's amazing. Journal as you go. This is so important. And especially if you're dealing with an emotional attachment to food or your craving habit um, or grazing or snacking habit, it's a really great time to tune in, right? And make notes and be like, oh, well, I'm going to recondition my response. I, I notice that I reach for food at these certain with these certain emotions and I'm going to do this instead. How wonderful is that, right? Like, or I'm going to actually drink the water I should have been drinking all day because <laughs> I'm actually really dehydrated or whatever it may be. Um, learn to start to tune in to what you may be distracting yourself from or avoiding because a lot of times that's why we snack. Um, and then you can always, like I said, we talked about toxin load. I'll put a link in the show notes for the toxin lab that I was talking about. And then also tracking with a CGM or a Lumen, whichever level you're at. If you've already done a CGM and you really want to get fat adapted and that metabolic flexibility, then definitely try a Lumen. Um, just don't stress about it. It's, it's information. It's a tool, right? It's not meant to take away your intuition, um, when it comes to what your body needs. So while I use both at certain times, there's some times where I'm like, yeah, the lumen has me way too low carb and I need more energy today because I'm weight training, you know? So, so be fluid with it, right? Because then that will avoid frustration. So, Use these things as needed, but don't lose your intuition. That's what's super important to know. So um, I guess I will close out with some benefits of fasting um, because I think it's really important to know that it's so much more than just fat loss. That That's the reason why we fast. So yes, the whole goal is to just lower inflammation, but let's just go through a few benefits of fasting and then I'll leave you all to it. You can shoot me messages if you have any questions. So fasting, it's good for autophagy or cellular repair. So like I said, if your body's digesting all the time, it's not going to be repairing cells and DNA. It's good for energy production. It's going to increase your insulin sensitivity. It is going to increase fat loss and it's going to help you become fat adapted. So um, energy burn by burning stored fat. It's going to re reduce inflammation and oxidative stress. It's going to remove cell waste. It's going to increase apoptosis, which is where your body, you know, kills off cells that it no longer needs. Um, it helps lower blood sugar. 
It lowers insulin and increases human growth hormone. It helps protect against neurodegenerative diseases, cancer, heart disease, high blood pressure, cholesterol, and type 2 diabetes. It helps with clarity of cognition and memory. It helps you ease digestion. It slows aging. It is a boost to your immune system. It normalizes leptin and ghrelin levels. It lowers triglycerides. It helps balance your hormones, even thyroid. So if you have PCOS, infertility, high or low estrogen or testosterone, skin inflammation, um, if you have digestive issues, it's going to help with that. It's going to help improve your microbiome. It's going to reduce pain and inflammation. It's going to improve detoxification. Um, and so all of these things can be a benefit to just literally lowering that insulin response and giving your body a break from digestion. So I hope that you guys can learn to do this in a mindful and intuitive way and don't obsess over it, right? Just give your body a break here and there skip a dinner or two every now and then and see how you feel and learn the signs of your body healing, which honestly happens very quickly when you start to increase autophagy and just the healing mechanisms that come along with fasting. So you're going to see some benefits really quickly if you do it mindfully. And you're also going to see things that happen if you do it too much. And it's really important to tune in and learn as you go um, when it comes to this. But so many so many wonderful reasons to fast and to control this epidemic of chronic conditions. And it seems so simple, right? So um, start, you just start, right? Talk to your practitioner, start, get a plan of action, whatever's going to ease you into this um, wonderful healing process, just start. That's all you can do. So I hope this helps somebody. If you have any questions, let me know. I will link everything up in the show notes and we will talk here soon. Have a great rest of your day.